1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: We are live. Hello. Good afternoon. (laughs) And cluck, cluck, cluck to you, Hannah Holt.
0: Thank you. It's great to see you.
2: That's Professor Chicken.
0: Yep, Professor Chicken is here to hang out too and answer all your burning chicken and underwear questions.
2: Burning chicken questions. (laughs) That's a good one. So, uh, Hannah Holt from uh, somewhere in Oregon. Yes, correct. It's wonderful to have you on the channel. So I I just have to remember that my name is Mel Rosenberg. I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I have the incredible author, engineer. Are you really an engineer?
0: I majored in civil engineering, so I used to work in transportation planning and
2: infrastructure. Okay, um, and I'm here with the wonderful Hannah Holt, and so delighted that at seven in the morning you agreed to be on the show.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm an early bird, along with Professor Chicken, so oh we're good to go.
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> listen. You're you, not you, me- if
0: you've read my book, you know I like puns, so prepare well, yourself. I, I,
2: and my favorite, I've written some of them down. My favorite is The Fruit of the Tomb.
0: Yep, that's a popular one too. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know,
2: uh, one of the reasons I write for young kids is because we can use ridiculous humor. You can't get away, from, can't get away with that in a middle grade or a young adult book, but for picture books, they work fine.
0: Well, and you should. You should use a ridiculous humor because why not? It's more fun.
2: I, I'm in favor. So um, let's hold up. Can you hold up your book?
0: This is my most recent one, A History of Underwear with Professor Chicken.
2: Yes, and it just came out.
0: Yep, it just came out this year, fresh off the press.
2: Fresh off the press, and um, it is, let's see, um, it's Roaring Book Press. Correct. Which is somehow connected to Macmillan.
0: Yes, they're an imprint of Macmillan. They do great books. If you're looking for more great reads, check out the whole list at Macmillan, or at Roaring Book and Macmillan, but Roaring Book especially.
2: Okay, I'll I'll have them on the show, but this show is about you, Hannah.
0: Okay, all right, fine. They
2: have have their own PR people. You have PR people?
0: (laughs) I have a PR person at McMillan. I do, and they've been wonderful to work with.
2: Okay, but today you have me, and the show is all about you.
0: I love it. Let's do it. It's so nice to chat with you.
2: Yeah, and so so tell everybody, uh, thousands of people want to hear why you wrote, especially me, Um, why would you write a children's book, a picture book, for, I don't know, five to seven-year-olds on underwear?
0: Well, I love, uh, you know, my background's in civil engineering, and I love all things about how communities work and how people are connected And I found that it's often the littlest things in our culture that are the most revealing, like the things that we don't pay attention to, often to say more about us than than maybe something that we're paying very careful attention to. So for example, when I was researching for this book, I found that the cultures that wanted to regulate all kinds of things, all the way down to the underwear that people were wearing, those tended to be more off their you know, authoritarian cultures that really wanted to control their people and set up class structures. And well, if you make less than this much money, you know, you can't wear velvet underwear. That would be unseemly, you know, and.
2: Seemly. Oh, another one. Oh, yeah,
0: that, that one made it in the back matter. It didn't make it in the main text. But those kinds of details just are very revealing and so I thought it also would be a fun way to get kids excited about history and just make them maybe more curious about some additional facts that they could learn about the different time periods in this book.
2: Okay, I think it's wonderful. Uh, I'm a, a big proponent of this book um, because it's what I love. It's, it's science, it's history, it's nonfiction, uh, told by fictional characters. And you have a wonderful illustrator named Cor oh, Corwin Graves.
0: Corwin did an amazing job with these illustrations. When I saw the art, I was so thrilled. He did gorgeous work and so funny. So many great spreads.
2: So many chicken spreads.
0: So many chicken spreads. Well, and that's the other thing is I wanted to write this book. I wanted to make it about underwear. But adding the chicken as the main character made it that no matter what they were wearing, everyone, you know, there wouldn't be anything that would make anyone uncomfortable or, you know, people of different ages. It's just chickens. So it's just us they, chickens.
2: Just and, chickens. And this, this was your idea?
0: My idea to put the chickens in the underwear? Yes. I so wanted I hear, to.
2: You, you had an illustrator note. <laughs> Please do well, chickens.
0: I, I, pitched, I pitched the book. As chickens, and in fact, the first title of this book was, it wasn't a history of underwear with Professor Chicken. It was, uh, it was just, I think, a history of underwear with chickens. And then, as Corwin illustrated it, I could see that he had made essentially a central main character. And I thought, well, why don't we name him? this character so i saw the sketches for the book and i could see there was you know one chicken who was throughout who was kind of the teacher so to speak now, let's name him and make him professor chicken so yeah my original title was a history of underwear just with chickens and i just had imagined chickens and then Corwin did add the central main character and then we changed the title last minute before it went to press of a history of underwear with professor chicken so so, so it's, it is a back and forth it, between Anna, the it, and the it, 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 it's
2: very demeaning though
0: you know Demeaning? How so? Oh, you clipped out. Could you say that again?
2: I'm a professor. <laughs> well, well, I, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I, um, I, I, chickens compared to prof- professors, probably the chickens find it demeaning.
0: Well, but he 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 went to he definitely went to chicken university. So you know he had his own path to uh to greatness. Mm-hmm. you, you, chicken, you might, sure you, might say, you might
2: say you might the professor went to extremes. <laughs> yes.
0: I wonder what he did his dissertation on.
2: <laughs> we, have, we have to stop with this. Uh, okay. So um Do we? Do we have to stop? No, we, we don't. We're gonna say that we're gonna stop and then we're not gonna stop. So uh-huh. um so tell me please um about your life before I was gonna say before underwear. Your life before Professor Chick.
0: My life who before. Who is Hannah me? Holt?
2: I've never interviewed, I don't think. I've interviewed doctors, physicians who became a um uh, authors of children's books. I've interviewed lawyers who became authors. I think you're my first civil engineer. So oh. start at the beginning. I was born.
0: Sure, sure. I was born, as most people are, to, 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 to a mother and a father, as most people are as well. And I moved around a whole lot. My father was a civil engineer, and I just really admired how hard he worked. And when I got to be in high school, um, I would sometimes try to see if I could stay up as late as my dad working hard because he he ran his own business. And so, of course, he was very involved and working really hard. And I admired that work ethic. And I took an interest in science and math. And so right when I went to university myself, I decided that wanted to be my area of study. But I was also really interested in languages as well. Um, it's always been a an area of interest for me. So I, I majored in civil engineering and I minored in German. Don't ask me to speak German anymore. It's been a long time since I practiced it, but that was my creative outlet when I was off. I, I,
2: I think I'm the last person who's going to ask you to speak in German.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> And I finished my university degree and I started working for a transportation planning firm. And I really enjoyed meeting with mayors and we also would do public open houses. So we, of course, since we're doing projects in the community, we need to meet with those members and ask for their feedback. And I love that process. It, get, it got to be a little bit difficult after I had my first child and I went back to work and the company that I was working for um, decided to change my return to work plan while I was on maternity leave. And that made my life challenging because I didn't have my child care set up for that. And so I decided then to transition to being, uh, there was a you know, the university I went to was looking for people to audit their independent study courses. So, check their independent study courses before they sent them out to students. And I thought that'd be a great way for me to stay creative, but I could do it from home, just looking over the course materials. So, I transitioned then from being a civil engineer to being an editor. And while I was doing that work, I thought, it, I would like to write my own books. I would like to write my own material. And that little idea sparked a journey of me researching the publishing industry and finding out more about how things work. And of course, I was reading a lot of books to my children at the time. And that's where my passion was. And I Wrote and wrote and wrote and got rejected lots, as you do if you know you've ever worked in the publishing industry, but found my way to some successful projects with my first book, which was The Diamond and the Boy, which is
2: a biography of... Hannah, we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Okay. Um, I, uh, I want you now to bunk or debunk my theory. Okay. I think that authors write to the age that they're stuck in.
0: <laughs> that's probably true
2: <laughs> what were you like as a five-year-old
0: oh I was very curious I loved exploring outside I had an imaginary friend who was pippy Pippi Longstocking and uh, we would hang out together too along with my friends and have good old times and I, it was Probably just a really happy time in my life. So I will say, yeah, I'm probably a perpetual uh, five or four-year-old. Four-year-olds are some of my favorite people. I love the fresh way that they have of talking. They're so unfiltered. They, um, Man, if I could write like a four-year-old speaks, that would be my life ambition. They're so clever.
2: They sure are. So, um, and, and you didn't write as a kid.
0: Writing you're, you're was actually
2: you solved quadratic equations.
0: Writing was really difficult for me as a child. I was a slow reader, a late reader. Um, I remember I was in the lowest reading group through most of elementary school. In, in fifth grade, I was still uh, doing, they put those gummy things on pencils to try to get you to hold your pen correctly. I had trouble with my pencil grip. Um reading and writing did not come naturally to me. I would always love stories. I was always a storyteller, but those skills were hard earned for me. So I think it did. I needed that extra time to really develop those skills in life. Um, Like I said, I always loved stories. I loved having people read stories to me, but yeah, reading and writing were, they are still a challenge for me. I do. I struggle with my spelling. I have to look up lots and lots of words because I know it's a
2: weakness of mine. Okay, but I think um, this is a very good weakness because every, every time I misspell something, it gives me an idea for another story. <laughs> That's true. Too. Like you just said, weakness. So I imagine weakness with two E's, right? Three E's, you know, weakness.
0: And, th- and those E like- those and E-A uh, vowel pairs are hard. And actually now I am also trained to be a reading coach as well. And I'm starting a new job. In the fall, a part-time job to help high schoolers learn how to read. So I'm going to wow.
2: So do you, do you work now, or you just sit home and write amazing stories?
0: I have for many years been home just writing my amazing stories, but I, my, I had some of my children were diagnosed with dyslexia a couple of years ago, and since that happened. Um, reading and dyslexia has become an additional passion of mine to really want to help those kids get those tools that they need because people who are dyslexic it's not that they can't read is that they need to learn to read in a different kind of way they need different instructional and there aren't enough people unfortunately who are trained in getting them the help they need to read so I I'm not sure exactly where this passion is going to take me, but I wanted to get trained in those tools and get some experience using them with firsthand. That's what I'm doing this fall so that hopefully I can find out what works better and better and that there can be more people who have the access to reading because reading opens so many doors. And we don't think about going to school, you don't just read in your language arts class. You have to read the story problems in math. You have to read the experiment to analyze it in science class. Reading is the gateway to all the rest of the knowledge, especially as our school system is set up right now. So I'm trying to do my little part to help fill that gap, to help bring more people to reading so that school doesn't need to be such a
2: frustration. That's wonderful. So, OK, so we have you as an engineer, mm-hmm. uh, successful civil engineer working with mayors and presidents. And um, <laughs> not presidents, and but and then, then you have don't, don't don't spoil my story. Although
0: once and, once upon a time, I was the president of the Institute of Transportation Engineers in my student chapter at school. So,
2: yes, okay. I did associate I, with some president. I, I, rest, I rest my case. <laughs> and, uh, and, and here you are with a young child, you a young child and say, oh, I would love to write children's books. But, you know, as I say time and again on this show, um, it's very difficult to write a really good children's book. There's terrible competition or terrific competition, uh, depending on how you see it. And <laughs> I like they, that, terrible or terrific. <laughs> and the number of people that get uh, publishing deals with major publishing houses as you have, and I, your, your agent is still Jennifer March Soloway, mm-hmm. yep. who was like, you know, right up there. And um, you are like one in, in 50,000 children writers. I've
0: been very fortunate.
2: Well, you're not only very fortunate, you're very talented. Um, so when and how did your breakthrough kick? So rejection, 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 and then more rejection. And then what happened?
0: Oh, well, that's a whole story too, now. Huh? that's why I,
2: we're doing this show.
0: <laughs> I was querying way back in the day, um, an agent named Danielle Smith and my very first agent that I signed with was an agent named Danielle Smith and she was my first. So I had no idea really how the agent client relationship was supposed to go. And I would send her my stories. She would say, this is great. She would send me a submission list. This is who I sent to. And then I would just wait and wait and wait. And I knew publishing was slow, but everything just seemed to be taking so much longer than I thought it should. And she always had all these great reasons. Oh, it's the summertime. It's slow. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm changing, uh, She changed agencies once. There there was a whole host of reasons why things were slow. And it just seemed to drag and drag and drag. And finally, I I knew I was going to be 90 years old before I got anything published if I stayed with her. So we parted ways. And around the time that I parted ways with my first agent, I went to the Rutgers one-on-one conference, which is a great conference. And if you have the opportunity, I recommend this conference to everyone where they pair you one-on-one with an industry professional. So I met with Kate Jacobs, who was at, was, I think she's still at Roaring Brook. Maybe she's not at Roaring Brook anymore. She was with Roaring Brook at the time. And I was the scholarship recipient that year. And so, but as being the scholarship recipient, I had to submit my whole publishing history and my submission history as to attend this conference. And Kate Jacobs, was one of the editors on the list that my previous agent had sent or supposedly sent this story to. So I'm having this hour discussion with her and she's looking through my submission list and she says, you know, I can't remember all the submissions that I've gotten because I get so many submissions, but I am pretty sure I never received this submission. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I started contacting other clients that were represented by my first agent, their stuff never got sent out. So my first agent, I don't know what was going on with her. She eventually left the industry amid fraud allegations, but my whole first year of agenting was sent with someone who said they were doing a bunch of work with me, who they weren't actually doing any work for me. It was very frustrating and very discouraging, but I used that information and that frustrating experience to refine and know that I didn't want to just sign with an agent because there are lots of people who put themselves up. Oh, I'm an agent. I'm an agent. But you really need to look at their experience. They need to look at their mentoring. If they're a new agent and new agents are great. I really recommend people query new agents because they're hungry. They're looking for new work, but they need to be getting mentoring from someone who has experience or they need to have experience working in the publishing industry as an editor, or because otherwise you end up with someone who's submitting your work, who's really not gonna be open any more doors for you than you could open yourself. And then they're taking their 15% cut if they do manage to sell anything. So really, if you're gonna have an agent, make sure you have an agent who is going to be great and solid at representing you. And not just anyone who says, oh, I'm a literary agent. And you know this. My first agent came well recommended too. And you, it's it's tricky to do that digging. But again, the things that I would look for is someone who is at a well-established agency, someone who's receiving mentoring, um, or someone with a lot of experiencing experience in the publishing world to begin with, and not someone who is maybe again not to knock someone who's a blogger. Bloggers can make great agents too, but they can't just transition from civil engineering to agenting or a nursery school teacher to agenting or blogger to agenting, they need to have those connections or find the means to have
2: those connections. Do, do so, I, do I, do I sense a change of career here, <laughs> a year?
0: Well, it, it changed my perspective for sure. Um, I mean, if, if you,
2: If you ever become an agent, I'm going to submit to you like every day. Oh, no.
0: Oh, no, no. I know agenting isn't for me. I have mad respect for agenting. Agenting takes a whole level of organization. And remember, reading was a challenge for me as a child. And I'm still a slow reader. And you have to be able to read fast if you're going to be an agent because you're reading submissions, you're reading clients. So I know agenting isn't for me, but I am a big advocate for agents but make sure that
2: the agent is reputable okay so that was my no, first thing well, i just just have to add that uh, getting a good reputed agent is also one in a thousand i just had the wonderful agent author rena rosner on the show and the mm-hmm. calculations are about one in a thousand.
0: Oh yeah um, yeah so
2: you are one of those um so then you so you got a book deal with jacobs and then you oh, No, no, in- I didn't
0: get a book deal with Jacobs. I just had a meeting with her and she mm-hmm. gave me good career advice that led to me signing with my next agent. She gave, she told me what I needed to look for and who I needed to query. And from there, I ended up signing with an agent named Laura Biagi. And Laura Biagi sent my work out. And my first book, which is The Diamond and the Boy, uh, came out with Kristen Kristen Renz, the editor at HarperCollins. Paul Bray. She's the one that signed that one. So roundabout, roundabout. And then I didn't work with Roaring Brook until this book. And I had another one in between. So yeah.
2: Wonderful. So when did you, when did your first book come up? The Diamond Boy?
1: 2018. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe
2: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. 2018. So you have like now three books mm-hmm. under your belt and... Um, Probably one or two on the way that I don't know about.
0: <laughs> I'm always working on
2: something. No, but you want to tell our readers uh, what you are working on?
0: Well, don't have to.
2: I'll,
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you about a new project that I'm working on that's not uh, out on submission or that um, I am. I'm trying my first graphic novel, which is a new project for me.
2: Wow! Wow, that's something.
0: Yeah, it's it's a whole new format. I get to. Go back to being a baby and my knowledge all over again. I got to figure out how to format things, how to structure things, how to make it uh, all come together. But it's been a great experience and it's fun to try new things. So,
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So um, I'd like you now to take your new book and wave it around a little bit and read to us one or two passages that will give our audience an inkling of why they should run out and buy this book to get their kids interested in history and innovation and culture and science and geography and practically everything that moves.
0: All right. So this is a history of underwear with Professor Chicken. And I'll just read you guys the first couple of pages. So underwear can be small or big or huge. It shapes our lives and supports us. Let's take a
2: brief look at its
0: history. So going back to the origins.
2: A brief look. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Oh,
0: over 5,000 years ago in the Swiss Alps, a hiker named Otsi became trapped inside a glacier. Poor Otsi died, but the ice saved his underwear, a leather loincloth tied with a belt. Like Otsi's underwear, many early bottom coverings came in pieces. That's why today, we still call them a pair. And then we go about how the first underwear was made.
2: Or some of the early underwear. You have, you, you underwear- have, you have a, a rabbit being sacrificed there. <laughs> and it, it's, it's hide. Everything for all to see. I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's bad enough that this young lady, Anna Hold, um, is bearing everything to society, the history of underwear. Uh-huh. And, and she has the... Um, the guts to spill a rabbit in the book, I, I thought that that was very. I was. I was going to say the other word, but it's you know, um, Very brave of you, shall we say?
0: Well, I did not add the rabbits to the book. The rabbits were added by the illustrator, and and we had a discussion about whether that was too graphic to have because the first underwear that was made was made out of leather and. I had not perhaps thought through how the leather would be acquired for the underwear that's being worn by the chicken, but the illustrator had to. And so the illustrator threw in some rabbits and then throughout the book, not just on that page, you'll see like on this page, there's, there's always in the background, sort of these angry rabbits and a sub layer of this book is this conflict between the rabbits versus the chickens in this book. And um, I thought that was silly, but I, I did have some concerns as well. It's like, ooh, is that? And then you can see in the end of the book, there are rabbits and chickens in this glass together, all getting along in peace as they talk about the pieces of the underwear.
2: So, um, so you know, most authors don't have that opportunity to discuss the um, the artwork.
0: Well, and I never discussed the artwork directly with Corwin. I didn't. Meet Corwin or chat with Corwin until until after the book came out, but the art director and the editor would see the artwork and they pass the artwork on to me and then I would give feedback about the art again through the editor. The editor would pass that information on to the art director. And all three of my books that are out so far have nonfiction elements in them. And I think it's pretty common when you have a nonfiction book to see at least sketches of the book before it comes out, because you need to provide that fact checking of the illustrations as well. And there have been instances in my book where something is in the illustrations that is not accurate. It's not accurate. So you always need to go and say, ooh, that, that type of animal wouldn't be eating that type of meat. Or, or that animal wouldn't be in that type of environment. So you need to put them in a so different he, habitat. He,
2: he didn't use a porcupine for underwear uh, heights. <laughs>
0: no, that would have been interesting though.
2: Okay, so um, this is going to be terrible. Uh, after that brief description of your book, uh, could, we, uh, could we have a couple of words on your other two books, The Diamond Boy? Sure, sure, sure.
0: So, The Diamond and the Boy.
2: While, while you're bragging, you know, just you know, go for it.
0: <laughs> this is a biography of my grandfather. So, uh, the creation of diamonds and the life of H. Tracy Hall. H. Tracy Hall was my grandfather. He's passed away, it, and it's the story of his life. He grew up very, very poor, um, homeless at times. And yet he grew up to become an inventor and he built a machine that could make diamonds, not cubic zirconia, but actual diamonds. And this process that he developed is the same process that is used today to make lots of our diamonds that are used for manufacturing. So often we think of as diamonds for jewelry only, but diamonds, if you go to the dentist, the drill, the dentist uses diamond tipped And when they're, Digging drilling for oil, the drills that they use are diamond tipped, um, cutting concrete or made with diamond saws. So those diamonds are usually man-made diamonds using the process that my grandfather invented. There's that. incredible.
2: that's incredible.
0: He was a pretty cool dude, and later in life he had Alzheimer's and started losing his memories. And that was my inspiration for wanting to write about him is to preserve those memories because. Yes, we, we get old sometimes and forget those things and that was a wonderful experience to really dive into his life and read his journals and capture those moments so that I could have them for my children and other children could read them as well.
2: That's incredible. We'll have to do another interview. (laughs) And
0: then my second book is A Father's Love. And with this book. I really wanted to capture the sweetness that can happen between a father and their child. There are lots of wonderful mommy books and there are lots of wonderful daddy books too, but the daddy books that are out there tend to be more adventure driven. I'm having an adventure with my dad and I really wanted to celebrate all the dads that are out there that are caretakers Mm -hmm. um, or the dads that work too. This book features a variety of different animals who care for their children in different ways. So for example, the penguins are more like the primary caregiver, but there are also foxes that bring home the bacon or bring home the the mice, so to speak. There are emu dads who are single dads. There are dads like seahorses who give birth. So all different kinds of loving, all celebrated in this book, A Father's Love.
2: Do you know where you got the idea for this one?
0: This one? I started writing this book when I was expecting my twins And, and originally this, it was going to be a story called Mommies Love Their Baby Twins which, and I, I took it to a conference and the editor gave me feedback saying, this is a great thing. This is a great book, but a book on twins just feels kind of niche to me. I don't see a market for it. And that started me thinking about different ways that I could approach this book. What might be an approach on love that is a little bit different. And I thought, you know, when I went back to work after having my first child, my husband was the caregiver for our children. Um, my my brother is a stay-at-home dad. We have these dads who are in these caretaker roles, and we don't have as many books for them. So I really wanted to have a book that celebrated all those dads doing all that hard work. And that turned into a father's love.
2: It's all about, it's all about the daddy animals.
0: It's all about the daddy animals. It does, it does touch on humans in the very end, but you'll see here's the here's the Fox page. Here's the there's a lion page. Let's see. Get one more for you. Oh, here's the falcon page.
2: Wonderful. And um, before we go, um, the underwear book. Did you tell our audience where you got that idea from?
0: No. Oh. Do you, you
2: want to divulge it?
0: Sure. No, no. I'm happy you, to share that.
2: It get to the bottom of the story very briefly. Exactly.
0: We got to get to the bottom of it. We can't leave any uh, loose strings, right? (laughs) You asked for it. You win,
2: you win, (laughs) you win.
0: Originally, I had been on submission with a book that was called John, uh, Biography of the Toilet. Because again, civil engineering background, all things infrastructure. And my agent submitted that book to um, Emily Feinberg at Roaring Brook. And she said- you know, I love this. I love this subject, but we already have a toilet book on our list. Would you, <laughs> too many toilets. Would you be interested in writing a book about the history of underwear? I've always wanted a book about the history of underwear. I don't have one. So my agent asked me, would you be interested in writing this book? And I said, I don't know. Let me do some research. I did some research and I found out that most of what we know about early underwear is, well, whoever gets frozen in the glacier or buried in a tomb. So surprise, surprise, those people tend to be adults. So I thought, you know, I don't want to write a book for kids uh, with a bunch of half-dressed adults. That doesn't seem like my cup of tea. So I called my agent and said, thank you, but no, thank you. I don't think I'm going to work on this project because- I don't want naked adults in a book for children, and she said, "I bet you could find a way around that." And then I was like, "Ah, oh, she's probably right." And but she she moved on; she didn't press the issue. And then I sent her a story like a month later that had solved the issue, and the issue was solved is just make everyone chickens. So
2: was it? This was Jennifer.
0: This was Jennifer. Yes. So
2: let's give her credit.
0: Yep. Yep. Jennifer. Say saved- for Jennifer. Jennifer saved the underwear book. She did.
2: So um, do you have any parting tips for, uh, for writers, authors, aspiring writers at being the stellar success that you are? <laughs> and don't say go study civil engineering.
0: <laughs> you can, you can. But
2: what but I would say, say is... Let's say if you have nothing to do for a week, you can go study. Civil
0: engineering. Find find the subjects that you are passionate about. And if that happens to be writing in rhyme or that happens to be writing books about civil engineering or that happens to be uh, underwear, whatever it is, focus on that. And try not to listen too hard to those that will say, oh, editors don't like rhyme or editors don't. Oh, the
2: world like doesn't need a new underwear book. But, by the way. Um, Julie Hedman, or Elaine, one of my friends has an underwear book. Does she? Yeah, you're not- Uh, Is it Christine? No, I have to remember. I think it's- Who has the underwear book? I think Elaine. Uh, I'll send it to you. Okay. Uh, We'll we'll do it clandestinely. Um, Okay. so, So you should know that you're not the only- Oh, oh! I know, that. and I
0: read, I read all of those books as research before I started writing this book. There are uh, other underwear books, and that's part of the reason. Uh, that's a good reason for adding the chickens too, is to have a totally different take on an old subject as well. Yeah. So,
2: let's let's summarize here. The the really two pearls of wisdom here from Hannah Holt. The first is write to your passion,
0: absolutely. not to the market. Absolutely.
2: And the second is it doesn't matter if you're writing about an Aardvark and there's 57 other Ardvark books. Just make sure you spell it correctly.
0: <laughs> that is the important thing. Make sure you spell Ardvark correctly.
2: That's correct. And then
0: and then everything else will be fine. Everything
2: falls into line.
0: Mm-hmm. Hannah
2: Holt, this has been wonderful. Uh, we could go on forever, uh, but we're not going to. I just recommend. Uh, All your books, including the two I haven't read yet, but we're going to take care of that. Um, And it was great. I was really curious to interview you, not only because of the topic of your most recent book, uh, but because you have this crossover background, uh, which some other people also share with you. um, And um, to congratulate your stellar success. And also uh, to say thank you, because you do a lot of good work for writers. Including Thank helping you. people put critique groups together, which is so that, important.
0: And I do think once you once you have achieved some success in the children's book world, it's important to give back and help other people along the way. And too.
2: you do, and you do it in big, big, in a big way. So Hannah Hol, thanks very Thank much. Congratulations on your new book. Um, and uh, it's a clandestine subject that's out there, and I really, really recommend this book for parents whose kids wear underwear. Hannah, it's been Thank lovely.
0: You. Thank you Have so much for day. having me. You great came. chatting with you. I
2: loved it. I would go on <laughs> forever, but I'm going to get shot. Bye. Right.
0: Bye.